Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're welcoming a good friend to the show, Ari Kaplan. Ari is a leading figure in sports analytics and one of the few long-term baseball leaders with a proven track record. He is known throughout the major leagues for revolutionizing and modernizing player assessment, including having developed the expected ranking system currently in use. Kaplan is the co-founder of Scoutables, a leading analyst and scouting firm. Kaplan has worked with over half of all MLB organizations and many global sports media organizations, and his baseball career spans 25 seasons. He shares insights on how executives make data-driven decisions based on analytics, big data, and critical thinking. While sharing insider baseball stories, he shows organizations how to find meaning in seemingly endless amounts of information and looks at where analytics will innovate in the future. Ari is a leading figure in data science, sports analytics, and business leadership. He created and led the Chicago Cubs analytics department is recognized as IBM Watson data science celebrity, and was recognized by Crane Chicago Business in their 40 under 40 list. Currently, Ari is the director of AI evangelism and strategy at Data Robot, a leading enterprise AI platform. Welcome to the show, Ari. Hey, thank Patrick and Jelly. Great to reconnect. Ari, if if you don't mind, take a few minutes and share with our listeners a little bit about uh, Data Robot and your position there. Great. So uh, if you haven't heard of Data Robot, we're the leading enterprise artificial intelligence platform. So we created this whole field called AutoML, which is automating the boring, repetitive, you know, yucky parts of data science um, so that the data scientists can create models faster and focus on the more complex issues. Uh, but since then, we've grown uh, tremendously. Actually, uh, just this morning, we raised an additional uh, part of a round, uh, bringing us to over $750 million in investment total. Um, and, and that's used to help build this uh, platform that goes end-to-end, from when you get the data to when you actually implement the artificial intelligence. You know, we now do that whole uh, pipeline. So we have, um, you know, hundreds of engineers alone and data scientists making it now. Uh, so the fun part for me is that what you call citizen data scientists, people who don't have that PhD uh, from Northwestern University of Chicago, you can now run the most complex AI predictions without knowing how to do that. And that, that's incredible. That's remarkable. Hope we can talk a bit about that. And my role there is I work with evangelism and strategy. So, uh, you know, helping uh, educate, uh, entertain, and uh, come up with customers of how they could actually find value in a practical sense with AI. You know, not the future, how can they make a car that flies? But, you know, in reality, how can you better connect with your customers? How can you better price your products? Things like that. That's really cool. And congratulations. I mean, that is a ton of money. Uh, and I know we talked beforehand about who those investors are, and it, it's an impressive, it's a pre- so clearly a lot of really smart people see a lot of value in what you guys are doing. And in regards to the flying car, you're a smart guy, and I'm very sure you actually have some ideas around that already. 
Uh, we're probably not going to touch on that today, but uh, you know, if you want to send me an email later, that'd be cool. <laughs> Can't wait. I'll be uh, one of the first people to do it. <laughs> not regulation uh, ready by the government, but technology-wise, they, they have it all set. <laughs> of course, uh, I, I do. I, I did want to jump in because I, I think it's it's really interesting the the democratization of AI, right? That citizen AI developer, where that that barrier is. You did need somebody with a PhD. Most of my clients that do this do have PhDs from Northwestern University of Chicago, those types of places. So I'm just more curious. How does somebody engage with your organization? What are some of the problems that they bring to you? What are you, what is that? How does that work? Yeah. So traditionally, there's business intelligence. That's kind of where the whole world has been the last couple of decades. Um, and then there's AI. So business intelligence is how do you take it's descriptive. What happened in the past? What were my sales at PepsiCo or what were my sales you know, at, at some retailer? And using that to forecast what your sales may be like in the future. It's simple, uh, kind of straightforward. It's showing trends versus showing actual intelligence. So artificial intelligence is the next level where you can take thousands of types of uh, variables or types of data and understand kind of the subtle complexities of how it relates. In other words, how do humans behave? Or what are some of the nuances in the in the data? So like for Pepsi, if you're thirsty, you're going to spend more money to drink at that moment. If you're hungry and shopping, you're going to behave differently. And then I hope we will talk about sports. But if you're you're a player for the Bears and you know someone's running at you, how are you going to to, to react? And business intelligence does not do quite a good job um, of detecting that. AI does. So people come to us in that they want to make more realistic, better predictions, classifications. Uh, you know, We have something called Pathfinder on our website with 100 real-life use cases that we've actually seen in production across all different industries, banking, finance, healthcare, defense, and, and sports. Wow. Well, I hope people check it out. I know I will because I, I definitely am very intrigued by by this concept of, you know, this term, you know, it's one of those, right, uh, always talked about, has been talked about. It's interesting, I think, how pervasive AI is because AI sometimes to me always seems like whatever is next, right? Like we I use Waze. Waze is, you know, that's artificial intelligence. You're being given guidance on how to drive to a certain place based upon certain variables that they're tracking, right? But I don't think most people can see that the, there's artificial intelligence in their lives. I mean, funny enough, I, I was just trying to lock down my kids from using video games this weekend. So I jumped on my my Xfinity router thing to like see which devices to shut down. And I was blown away by how many, you know, Google Home or Amazon devices I have laying around my house, which is exactly why I'm now today going to get an ad from Ro Data Robot uh, on whatever <laughs> website I'm viewing. But it is it's it's kind of pervasive already. But I think there's that intentionality of like, okay, so the big companies know how to do it. How do, how do we get everybody to do it so that I think that's one of the best things about cloud was the democratization of like software and servers that. Way back when, if you only had a certain amount of money, you could have access to this. But now anybody has access to it. So now it's just best idea wins. And I just think that's such a powerful idea around innovation and like 
making it so that we're actually going to grow further because there's less gateways to actually be able to leverage this stuff. It, it, exactly. So that whole citizen data scientist and the kind of pervasive AI that, that's coming around the world uh, is tremendous. So having been like a hardcore person that writes Python code and writes R code and data science models, uh, you know, you see a demo of data robot, um, you know, in the automation, it's really automating the boring, repetitive parts of the job. Something like when I was with the Cubs, you know, it would take me four hours to eight hours to write each like prediction model. And you want to write 50 of them, you know, that'll take months um, in, in reality. But being able to do it in, in a couple of minutes, um, if you have the data, the, uh, is, is really incredible. And then kind of goes two ways. One is the citizen data scientist. It's as simple as taking an Excel spreadsheet, you know, dragging and dropping, saying, what do you want to predict? I want to predict uh, where should I spend my marketing dollars uh, in the next year? Or I want to predict, should I give this person a loan or accept them to college? Whatever it is, it comes out uh, in a matter of minutes without that programming. And even more so, you could uh, use dashboards, like if you've heard of Tableau or Microsoft Power BI um, or Click or your own dashboard, you don't even know there's AI underneath it. You're just within Tableau, you know, kind of looking around, drilling in. Then you ask a what if question. What if um, the temperature for the Cubs drops from 70 to 55 and it's raining? Uh, do that question, hit the button, and it gives you the answer. But again, you could do that now with BI, but this is more of um, AI, like your Waze example. How does that affect driving times to the stadium? Things like that. Um, so that's the one area is the, the ease, democratization. People will be doing AI questions without even knowing it. And then the other is people that want to roll up their sleeves, the, the PhD uh, people who have 10 years experience. You could use Data Robot to customize it as much as you like. Uh, you know, again, there's hundreds of engineers, so we put in you know, all the different levers that you could pull and gears to switch so that you could, they're called hyperparameters. Um, you could do, you know, really in-depth things, visual analysis, you know, look, here's an album cover. Uh, this is, you know, how do you classify it? Um, you know, we have a company in Chicago that look, that sells used um, musical instruments, guitars, and so on. You know, just take a picture and classify uh, poor condition, good condition, great condition. Um, you know, the government, something as simple as they get thousands of, of forms, which forms have a signature and which don't. So they could like automatically, immediately uh, isolate. And that helps with the whole process. So you have both the, the simple and then the complex are, are both in the same platform. It's really amazing. And I, 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 it gets my head just spinning on like <laughs> possibilities and opportunities. Uh, clients that I had, we were trying to do some, uh, com you know, cloud uh, visualization, right? So trying to get to deduce what something is through pictures. And we were just using some commodity stuff that we couldn't get to work. So now it's, this is now a possibility, right? So uh, it's pretty cool. It's exciting stuff. Um, Shelly, do you have questions? I know normally I just keep running and I you know, turn into a bull. No, I just, of course, I want to talk about sports with Ari and, and you kind of hit on it in terms of how quick the, the data moves today versus 
point you started out, but I am curious how that's changed over the last handful of years. Yeah, in sports? Or- yeah. Yeah, so uh, a fun topic, uh, you know, you know, Data Robot, we deal with every industry and sports, gaming, entertainment is, is one of them. In fact, um, of all of our customers, the number one like power user, meaning running billions of predictions before every game, um, is, is a baseball team. It's not the Department of Defense. It's not some big insurance company. It's not a pharmaceutical in, in Germany. It's uh, sports teams. They have huge amounts of data keeping track of everything that goes on on a field. Or, you know, we work with NHL teams and NBA teams and Premier League teams. They track 25 times a second XYZ coordinates of everything going on. Um, and leveraging that to make practical insights that players can take action on. Like, where do you defensively position your players? Um, I did that, uh, you know, as early with uh, Darwin Barney and the Cubs when he won the gold glove that year. And it was, you know, both he was skilled. The ball got to him where he got to the ball. He was not making an error. But yeah, half the battle was positioning himself that uh, the ball's likely to get to him. So the defensive positioning is big. The um, injury pre- prevention is big. Um, in addition to cameras, there's a proliferation of companies. Uh, Rapsodo, driveline baseball are customers of mine where you can get sensors or high-speed, high-def cameras. You can literally see the seams of the ball if the finger's like this or the finger's like that. And um, then you can manufacture you know, better mechanics. And it works. The teams and the players that are adopting this are getting better results. Before and after they go through a driveline uh, technology, their velocity goes up since they're getting better mechanics. With faster velocity, that's better performance. Uh, and then on the batter side, better improving their bat speed and, and uh, line of swing uh, to match the, the approach of the pitch. So it's really amazing that pitchers are getting better, hitters are getting better, and it, it's going to keep cycling up. But it's changing the game. In the NBA, you see more three-point shots versus two-point shots, since that's what the analytics say. From the baseline. It, totally, yeah. Right. And you, um, you know, baseball, it's more uh, strikeouts. Pitchers are being taken out earlier. And, and so it's, it's all a matter of adjustment, whether it's baseball, other sports, or other industries. It's interesting because I, you know, huge fan of the Cubs growing up. Ryan Sandberg was my hero. One of my greatest days growing up was when I, when I realized we had the same birthday. Unfortunately, I had to find that out from the DMV. Whole nother story we're not going to get into. But the interesting thing, like, Rhino was such a gold glover, right? Like, and like one of my favorite plays I ever saw was there was just a liner going right at him and he starts running backwards and it's clearly going to drop in front of him. And it's like, where are you going? And he knew it was going to hit right on the fringe of the grass and kick straight up in the air. And like, Ooh. so he's running backwards to be under the, when it kicks up, because he knows if he charges it, it's going over his head. And he's just like, that's one of those like masterful plays of like home field advantage. You know where the ball's coming off the bat. And I think, wow, that takes years. And one of the things that I thought was great in the movie Moneyball was as, you know, Billy Bean's characters walking through the locker room, explaining to people like, you're going to take more, you know, pitches. And that, I mean, that has dramatically changed baseball of like 
pitch count, just just even being aware of the pitch count. Nobody knew that in the nineties. Nobody knew what that. Nobody they didn't show it on the scoreboard, right? But it's become such a critical element of your victory. Of like, you're not playing a series. You're you're playing, you know, pitch counts and like how fast you can get the starter out. And some of those people knew that. But I, I guess the, the thing that I see is is like the now the learnability nature of like this is now backed by data. It's not like you know, grandpa's fly fishing strategy that, you know, kind of works. Uh, if you ask me, the Red Devil's the best lure on the planet. I don't have data to back that up other than they should make it illegal. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting how I think it's it's more about you can learn faster and teach faster uh, to humans, you know, what are the proper strategies, not so much the, the you know, the more, you know, finger in the ear approach of like, this is what I believe is the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yes, as you mentioned, the Cubs, you know, it was a great transition period that, that I was there. I was brought in by the Ricketts family as one of the two hires, me and Theo Epstein. Uh, but, you know, I came about a year and a half earlier and I parachuted in and, to, you know, to go from you know, very little uh, in-house uh, analytics to help transform it. But a lot of the players really resonated well. So Kerry Wood, for example, he and I would work together one-on-one after every single game the last season of his career to help work on his command. Where where was the catcher's glove set up? We would have interns uh, uh, mark it down and from, compared to where he actually pitched, uh, you know, analytics like that. Uh, so that was a big honor, Ryan Dempster. How can he vary up his pitches so that the batter could not guess what pitch type or locations coming next? You know, not just tipping pitches, but did he exhibit patterns? So we call them the human number, uh, random number generator. So you could not tell. Um, and then Ryan Sandberg was, was interesting. You know, he seems old school, but when he was uh, managing at the minor leagues, we uh, I came in and uh, installed, you know, all the latest and greatest at the time technology. Uh, uh, Sport Vision, another Chicago company, people uh, may or may not know of. They did the yellow line in football for first down, but they also did the first pitch tracking. So we did that at the minor leagues so we could uh, understand you know, the same trends in the, in the minors, pitching trends, release points, um, you know, uh, offensive exit, speed, launch angle. And, and Ryan Sandberg was you know, right there wow. uh, in the middle of all that. Yeah, and Kerry Wood was just yeah, just a – a warrior of a pitcher, man, that guy threw with his whole body every time. It was, just, it was so much fun. Why? Especially that I know they didn't win. I was at the game with Bartman, but like, just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, he went the next day. So it was, I forget who it was. Yeah. So yeah, he went, he, he was in the game seven on that one, but watching that game was just, it was insane. He just, he wanted to will a win. Like you watch every single pitch and it was like, it was going to be his last pitch, uh, but just an awesome player. So just listening to you, Ari, would you say that if companies, corporations, sports teams don't have the data analytics and the insight that they lose out on the competitive advantage? Is it is it shifted now to having data as a competitive advantage versus talent or ownership or coaching or otherwise? Or is it kind of all in the same flywheel? Yeah, great, great question. And this translates to other industries as well. But in sports, pretty much everyone has the same uh, information. Every game at the professional level, you're getting like all those XYZ coordinates 
It's called StatCast or Hawkeye. So everyone has the same information. And to be honest, everyone, every, at least in baseball team, has uh, in-house data scientists. So they're all kind of looking at the same types of questions with the same data. So by using either artificial intelligence or artificial intelligence with automation, you could, uh, number one, get better speed, speed to insights, uh, better accuracy, uh, and, and, and lower cost. So Manchester City just did a, a webinar or a keynote for one of our conferences. Something used to take them hundreds of hours to do an insight, uh, multiple hundreds of hours, about 500. Now it takes them just nine hours to do that same insight. The reason speed to insight is better is, um, you know, after the Cubs, I was special assistant to Dan Duquette with the Orioles. A, a lot of fun. Could talk about there as well. But I'd get a text saying, hey, I'm on with, um, you know, Scott Boris agency. He wants to know within an hour, are we in on player X? And I'd, I'd need to give an answer or they may or mo- may not move on to another team. Or there's something called the waiver wire. Uh, just uh, last Wednesday, a bunch of players, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Schwarber here in Chicago, others were kind of, you know, let loose and they could become free agents. So it's like a race to, to, to pull in people. Um, so the speed is important. And then accuracy is, is important as well. Some cases, accuracy is not as important. You know, for example, you're doing a marketing campaign to a million people. If you don't get it perfect, you know, life goes on. Um, if you do improve it, you know, you get more money. But where it is precise, if you're doing a first round draft pick, uh, you know, that that's Mark Appel, who never made the majors in the Astros versus a Chris Bryant. That that was one and two. So that's a big difference. Um, if you're detecting uh, cancer, you don't want uh, false positives or false negatives. So it's small decisions that have uh, high value. So yeah, you want to look at both of those. And the cancer stuff's important, but let's get to something that's really important, which is drafting first round picks, <laughs> right? Especially here in Chicago, right? Like, so is that something that maybe the Bears should be looking into? The, well, yeah, the Bears, we'll, we'll, I want to talk more about them as well. Uh, I, I do wish the best for them, but it, as it, we all do, yeah. as we all do. Um, but yeah, for drafting, you know, the, the other area of data science is really good at. I, you know, I touched upon kind of the numeric aspect and the, like the visual, like looking at scans. Another aspect that that's fascinating is text analysis. So for like the Bears or any sports team, you could look at everyone like Moneyball. We were talking about it was like this. Uh, argument or fight or struggle between scouts and analysts. And the the great thing is now you can have it more harmonized and collaborative. You could take thousands of scouting reports and look at the text that they use in conjunction with their mechanics or the results, and, and they work together. So you could say, you know, Shelley said Chris Bryant is an elite player you know, has a great attitude and is gritty. And then uh, Justin may say, Ari sucks. He, he's not lazy, but he just doesn't have the skills to be an everyday player. And the artificial intelligence, um, if you get enough scouts using common words, can pick up on it and say, how important is that description in conjunction with uh, you know, the numbers that they produce? Um, so yeah, it can totally help with drafting 
I, I love that combination. And then the Bears is, is a bigger uh, challenge. And I wish they had won last week. They would have been, you know, even record in, in the playoffs. But, you know, for me, I'm kind of resigning, uh, you know, kind of like with the Cubs, you want a long-term outlook. You want to build for some sustained success. It's a little harder in football with the increased rate of injuries, but yeah, like identifying weaknesses and addressing them at a, a faster pace will, will go a long way. Yeah, the, uh, it's interesting. So the the injury component of that, of like, uh, you know, I always think, uh, you know, you look at the last couple of years, uh, Patriots aside, right? The Patriots are just their own little anomaly, which I'm sure you've got the answer to. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and I'll get it from you later. But uh, <laughs> I see a lot of the organizations, it's the critical mix is you drafted a great quarterback. Um, you've got enough dollars still on the table to build a team around him, right? You're at Kansas City and Seattle where it's like you've got – and then, of course, like with Seattle, the quarterback finally gets a, a real contract with real money, and uh, now you have to let go of some of your your star defenders, right? And now they're kind of coming back because they got great – I mean, personally, I don't like the coach, but I, I respect what he does. And it's just – you know, he coached USC, and that's just a stain. He'll just go loose for me, right? Like, it's just you're dirty. End of the day. Sorry. Everybody from like USC – don't like me. That's fine. But uh, I, I, so I think about that of like, you know, is that part of like the challenge with, the, you know, they renegotiated their agreement with the players a couple of years back. And, and it seems like they've almost created this scenario of like, you can't pay anybody for too long. Right. Like it's almost like uh, the players at that year five or six, uh, there's no way for them to actually be paid. I don't know. It seems like we, and it almost seems like the quality of the sport has gone down because it's we're focused so much on bringing in the young, cheaper talent. Am I completely off there? Because I, I I I have no research to back that up other than get gut feel. Yeah, well, the whole world of sports is changing, you know, due to COVID, due to economic challenges. You know, the the world will bounce back, you know, hopefully later this year, and but there'll be a new normal. But yeah, it's constantly going to younger players. People are getting smarter for so they're going to be less and less long-term contracts in each sport, and especially in baseball. There's this collective bargaining agreement where the, the both the rules of how the game's played, uh, you know, replays and DH in the National League and things like that. Uh, you have to face three batters if you're a reliever, things like that. So the game itself is uh, being changed. But then the market conditions for salaries, long-term contracts, people are getting smarter. You're paying for future value versus prior value. Um, that it, it's going to be almost easier from the ownership team standpoint and harder from the player standpoint, unless they're able to negotiate. And then what's happening in the minor leagues is a huge challenge as well. There were no minor leagues in uh, 2020 in baseball, and that's like the lifeblood of development um, that in, in so many different ways. And then when this is over, even before it, there's what, 40 teams that were looking to contract minor league teams and already teams, you know, the Yankees have a big lawsuit. Um, I don't know if that has any grounds. I, I'm not the expert, but, you know, Staten Island Yankees and a lot of famous teams are, are, are not going to be around. And so, yeah, there's so many different levels that, that 
the sports world is changing. And sports is always, you know, the tools that are used there always get into the hands of, of corporate America and, and business, right? So whatever we see them doing, we emulate it works. So I wonder how far is there, are we from using that kind of, you know, money ball strategy in, in our own hiring for employees and trying to find some of those anomalies and behaviors and things that we can pick up on, you know, like even just from what you mentioned, notes during interview process of like, is everybody seeing this and is it important to the role, to our culture? Uh, and how far off are we from that? Because generally once it stabilizes, I mean, the beauty of America is we'll pay for anything that helps us win. Yeah, the, the whole hiring in HR is an interesting one for artificial intelligence. And we do work with some of the large you know, hiring consulting firms. And this kind of gets to the topic of uh, AI trust and bias in AI as well. So, you know, from the, you know, getting just looking at a resume, the old school way is just, do they have a keyword? Do they have Python? And right. you have no idea if they're good at it, bad at it. Um, or just wrote it. Yeah. And, and, and then from there, like from the interview process, you know, so there, there, it's like a combination of whittling down resumes to, uh, doing your own assessment uh, in, a, in a process of large companies, like some airlines, like a, a flight attendant, uh, are very successful of using AI to see do they have the personality of patience uh, for the job. Um, but for other things like computer programming, or I'm sure there's other examples, it, it's still a, a bit of a challenge. Sales. Sales is hard to hire for. Right, because at least there's a certain level of you know honesty in uh, in most of us. Like hiring developers is easy; they they don't spend any time on the inefficiencies of deception, <laughs> right? But uh, salespeople they they're good at selling at least one thing, exactly. Maybe not two, but at least one, right? So, but I, that would be very interesting because I think there's I again I think there's a whole misperception around what is a good salesperson. Uh, but that's that's a whole whole other conversation. And there's so. types of salespeople, people who are like order takers. You know, hey, what do you want? Can I offer you uh, an add-on for fifty percent off? And then there's solution sellers. Right, who are hard. Right. I would argue all salespeople in the future will be solution sellers. Right. Mm -hmm. Even like it, I mean, McDonald's even is getting to the point where you know I don't need you. Right. I don't even need an order taker anymore. So. The order takers are probably because of what you're doing, and uh, you know you're just you're destroying the lives of order takers everywhere. Because uh, they, I mean, it's true though to a certain extent. The middle management effort of it all. If you're not one of those thinkers, if you're not, you know, we use that term, you know, thought worker all the time in the 2000s, 90s. Uh, it's really coming true of like the toil, the menial stuff. That's getting eaten up. And that's you know, something we talked about. Like, you still need the thought workers. You need the innovation, the ingenuity, you know, the the, the, the real brain work there, you know, seeing contrasting patterns. But uh, from like a, I take this file and I move it there kind of thing, you know, from like office space of like, I got people skills. You know, you actually have to have people skills now, not just take the paper from the customer to the engineers. Yeah. One of my favorite movies and. Yeah, the, the way I like to look at it is like three different circles, excuse my fingers, um, <laughs> AI, 
Um, at, the, at this side, you have math and stats for, for data science AI. Uh, you know, what's the logic behind things? You know, what are the formulas? Things like that. And then on the other side, you have uh, programming. You know, you have to actually write Python and um, SQL and things like that. And then at the top, you have the, the human intelligence, uh, understanding of the data and understanding of the, uh, you know, the, the business. So the automation will get rid of the bottom two. You don't really need to have programming skills. Maybe a little bit of the math skills to see, uh, is this model reliable? But you don't really need them in the way it's done today. You could have a dashboard just say, you know, we believe, you know, uh, you know, he's a risk for a loan with 80% certainty. So you don't really need those skills, just how to interpret it. But the thing that will be left is those domain experts, people who know, hey, this is McDonald's. Um, you know, people want the Egg McMuffin past 10 in the morning. Uh, so let's figure that out. So that so you're really going to elevate the data scientist. It's going to be a commodity, the programming part, but you're elevating the, you know, their their value and purpose to, you know, just look at reality and drive the business forward. It's such an interesting concept. Look at reality versus your perception. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it feels matrixy. I don't know. Well, for me, reality is like I've been with data scientists in baseball and they make a recommendation, you know, you should trade for player X, uh, but that player X is injured um, and and they're injured for the next 60 days and they just didn't have injuries as part of their data set. So you go tell the general manager, sign this player and you get kind of laughed out of the room saying, I'm not going to get him. So that, that, that's like, yeah, he did a good job as a, uh, writing the program, but just didn't use common sense, and, and that—that's what I mean, partly by reality. No, that's great. I, and it, it, get back to that ways thing. They make recommendations. Uh, I don't always follow. It's like no, my my expectation. I see a pattern forming on, you know, Southwest Highway or on the Edens or the Ryan, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say nah, I'm gonna take my way. So, so I think that's that, that human component. Um, Ari, I think that we could sit here and talk forever, honestly, and I mean that. Like, we didn't even get into Ice Pirates. Like, if we're going to bring up '80s movies, we'll dig, we'll <laughs> dig deep, right? But uh, we'll have to have you back on the show. Absolutely, that would be fantastic. Would you be open to that? I'd love to. Yeah, I felt like we were just getting warmed up. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we will definitely have you back. Thank you so much uh, for being on today. It's uh, we really. Really appreciate you sharing your experiences. I think everybody in Chicago, you know, thanks you and everybody else who helped win what seemed like an unachievable uh, objective. And uh, so personally, thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you so much. And and glad that that uh, got done for the fan base. Uh, uh, You know, long overdue. And yeah, just great great to see that happen in our lifetimes. Uh, We also want to thank you listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking uh, your time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32. 